Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, Father God, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word that's going to go forth tonight. And Lord, I just pray that we'll all have ears to hear your word tonight, spiritual ears, spiritual eyes, so that we'll be able to hear this word and it will make a difference in our lives. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're blessed to have one of my friends. And I'm not going to be flowery or anything. I'm just going to give it right straight. He's an amazing teacher. He's a Messianic Jew, a rabbi. Such an awesome teacher, and God's given him some great revelation that he's going to share with us tonight. So I would like to welcome Rabbi Bruce Niger. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Thanks, Barb. (laughs) Holy Spirit, help me get out of your way. I humble myself in your presence and ask that you would anoint this message, anoint my words. May they be your words and not mine, Lord. Come and uh, live and tell your people that you love, what you want them to hear tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the ancient rabbis had a teaching about how when the Messiah came, they would be able to recognize him. And they said that there would be four infallible proofs that if one person did all of them, it would prove that he was the Messiah. Four infallible proofs. And uh, the first proof is found in Matthew 8, verses 1 through 3. Jesus, the Messiah who was to come, would have to cleanse a Jewish leper who was malignant with leprosy. He didn't have eczema, he didn't have psoriasis. He had an advanced malignant form of leprosy. And so that's the first proof. And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, If you are willing, Lord, you can make me clean. He he called him Lord. He showed faith in Jesus by saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus immediately put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy left him. You know, the lepers were unclean, they couldn't be in public, nobody could touch them. 
And we're gonna come up upon situations in our own life and ministry where there's gonna be people that we're commissioned to pray for who might cause us to step back and say, do I really wanna touch this person? But we have to be willing just like Jesus was. He's our perfect role model in everything we do. And so we, we, he was willing to do what no one else was willing to do, to touch and embrace a leper because his faith was going to help him be cleansed. All the promise of a God are accessed by our faith. We, we can't just expect the promises to happen in our life because it's written in the Bible. If we don't have faith, if we don't believe, if we have doubt and unbelief, if we have unforgiveness in our lives, you can't expect that those things will happen. But if you have faith, and Jesus said you all have a measure of faith, and even faith as small as a mustard seed will move mountains if it's genuine faith. And that's what the leper showed. The second infallible proof is that he had to cast out a deaf and dumb spirit. Now that might not seem like such a big deal, but if the person is deaf and dumb, how's he gonna hear anything and how's he gonna, but it's spiritual, right? So in Mark chapter nine, Mark chapter nine, verses 14 through 29. When he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him, and he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered them and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown himself both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him and he became as one dead so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. 
And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. A lot of people think he meant this kind of spirit can only come out by prayer and fasting. But I think what he really was talking about is this kind of unbelief can only be overcome by prayer and fasting. He was talking about their unbelief. That was why they couldn't cast it out. Not because they didn't pray and fast enough, because they didn't really believe that they had the power to do it at that time. Everybody with me on that? It's not the way it was always conventionally taught. I've heard people preach on this many times and saying, you have to pray and fast if you want God to do anything. Well, no, you don't. You have to believe. Jesus himself said in John 6, 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he sent. The disciples had asked him, what must we do that we may do the works of God? He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he sent. Belief is powerful. Matthew 12, another example of casting out a spirit. Matthew 12, 23 and 24. Or 22 and 23. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. So he was blind and mute. And he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Well, why would they say that if it wasn't one of those infallible proofs they were expecting that the Messiah to come and do? The son of David that everyone was waiting for was to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the holy one that was chosen by God to redeem Israel. They thought it was military redemption from the Romans, but what he really came to do was redeem us from sin and from losing our right standing and fellowship with God to regain our dominion on earth that had been lost to Satan and to reverse the curse that was on the entire world after Adam and Eve fell. He had three things he needed to do, and he needed to do them as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, la the next proof is he had to heal a man who was blind from birth, a Jewish man blind from birth. This is in... John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Another common fallacy that church people teach and believe about. If someone has a, dis a dis deformity or a disability of some kind, it must be because of someone that someone sinned. 
Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is this, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But the man himself answered and said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how are your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and sent me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So when I went and washed, I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> 31 through 34, we'll skip ahead to that. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world has began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man, Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. So the, the Sanhedrin was questioning the blind, previously blind guy, and he was telling them, if God wasn't with Jesus, he would have been, wouldn't have been able to heal me. It's never been done before. And, of course, they cast him out of the synagogue. The fourth infallible proof that Jesus had to do was he had to raise someone from the dead who'd been dead for at least three days. He had already raised the dead in the form of Jairus, the synagogue administrator's daughter, Tabitha, and he'd raised the dead when he saw a funeral procession. And <laughs> the guy had been dead, he was in the coffin, and Jesus just raised him out on the road. But those people had only been dead for minutes or hours. Now he has to have raised somebody who's been dead for several days. And you all know the story. They send for him, his sisters Martha and Mary send for Jesus, but he delays. And he doesn't go to Bethsaida where they live right away. And when he finally does go, and he meets Martha out on the road because she heard he was approaching. She said, I know that if you had been here, he, he could have lived. But Jesus said to her on verse 25 of Matthew 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Imagine. Jesus himself looking you right in the eye and saying, do you believe this? And so she said to him in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. 
And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Well, you know, it goes down through the progression of this. And then in verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. There was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. So now here he's done these four infallible proofs. And this is the response of the religious leaders in chapter 11 of John, starting in verse 45. In my Bible, this section is headed, The Plot to Kill Jesus. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do for this man works many signs? They knew what they what the signs meant. They knew who he was. If we let him alone like this, verse 48, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. So they just decided then and there, seeing all the infallible proofs that he'd done, that he was the Messiah, that they had to kill him to save their own skin and to save the nation from being crushed by the Romans. Imagine son of God comes, walks around in your midst, teaching and preaching and doing signs, wonders, and miracles for three years, and all you can think of is to kill him to protect your own place in society. Wow. Well, the name of this message, the title of it is The Greater Sin. The Greater Sin. Well, let's look at John chapter 18 now. John chapter 18, starting in verse 12. Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken to the high priest. 
both of them. First he went to Annas, who was the former high priest and was Caiaphas's father-in-law. Then he went to Caiaphas, who was the current high priest. He says, the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Verse 19, the high priest asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. They want, in, in Jewish law, you're only guilty by the word of two or three at least witnesses. So they didn't have any witnesses against him, so they tried to get him to incriminate himself. Does that sound like anything that might have been going on in our country recently? <laughs> Anybody think of anything like that? I, I wonder. So... Jesus answered and said, I spoke openly in the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, that, but that they might eat the Passover. So if you break a law or do anything that defiles you, you're not eligible to participate in the Passover celebration. Then Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who was is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? 
And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. Chapter 19, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore the chief priests and officers saw him, cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. But the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was all the more afraid, and went into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. But Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? But look what Jesus said in verse 11. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So the name of this message is the greater sin. Now, you would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Most people think he's talking about the Father, that it was the Father's will to turn Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified. It says in Isaiah 53, it was the Father's will to crush him. He was put into grief, all that. But it says, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And the ones who delivered him to Pilate were the Jewish leaders. Okay? Now, they were not above Pilate in authority in actuality. But they by their insistence that Jesus needed to be crucified and that he was guilty, they coerced him into going along with their plan. So it wasn't Pilate who had the greater sin, it was the Jewish leaders who convinced Pilate to go along with their sin, their plan. They had the greater sin. They had a higher power over Pilate by their insistence and all the people were stirred up and he was afraid that a real riot was going to break out if he didn't comply with their demands. We've all seen the movies that portray this and how everyone in the crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas, you know, and all that. So what I'm saying to you is that it was the religious leaders and not the government official who had the greater sin. Now, what I want to do Please bear with me. Some of you aren't going to agree with this, 
But you know what? This is what the Lord is showing me. Right now in our day, in our lifetime, we had governmental leaders. The first thing they did was they decided to take the Bible out of public schools. Did the church or the religious leaders stand up and say, no, we're not going to stand for this? No, they just rolled over and didn't argue, didn't do anything. Then they said, now we want to take the Ten Commandments out of the public square. We don't want it on public buildings. If we could, we'd even take it off the money and out of the Pledge of Allegiance and everything. If you want to get rid of God from public society, they lost a couple of those battles, won a couple, but there was no real resistance to what they were trying to do from the church and the leaders. If leaders had stood up and said, no, we were not going to tolerate this, some of their followers, many, would have gone along with them and taken a stand. Well, then they wanted to legalize gay marriage and abortion. And again, the religious leaders did not take a stand against what the government was trying to do. But if they had, they had greater numbers, they had great authority, and they could have changed the tide of what happened in our country, I believe. And last but not least comes COVID. And the churches comply with lockdowns. They wear masks. They are told that churches are non-essential to our lives, but bars and casinos are essential. And again, they didn't stand up, they didn't take a stand. A few did. We know pastors in Canada who took a stand, were arrested over and over again. Other people who spoke up, but they were few and far between. And what I'm saying to you is that these religious leaders in churches all over the country, mega churches, had the greater sin than the government who was doing that to us because it was their duty, their opportunity, and their moral obligation to stand up and take a stand against the wrong moral things that were being done to America, and they did not do it, just like Pilate couldn't stand up to the pressure of the Pharisees and the scribes who wanted to crucify Jesus. And that's where the greater sin comes in. Now, it's finally, I'm sensing it's finally starting to turn around in this country. We have a speaker of the house who's a born-again believer. It's a start. But we need more people standing at more pulpits saying to their constituents, their flock, we need to take a stand against what the government's trying to steal, which is our freedoms and our liberties and our religious freedom. People take a stand when they try to take their guns away, and the government is not successful. But the church did not take a stand when they took away all of our religious liberties. The greater sin. I think everyone should encourage the leadership and whatever groups they belong to 
to be willing to stand up and make a stand against illegal and immoral government mandates that try and take away more and more of our freedoms. And if we don't, we will lose them. Amen. Father, thank you that you have um, challenged us with these heavy words. I pray that they'll sink into the heart and soul of every person, that they'll understand it, and hopefully come into agreement, and that we can start to become a body of believers who are willing and able to take a stand against government tyranny in all of its forms in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We do. We have to take a stand, right? I was really happy when Pastor Gary um, made the announcement a few weeks ago about signing that petition. And if anybody hasn't signed that petition against making or changing the amendment uh, for abortion, we had some, I don't know if we still have those, but if you see, come and see me, I'll try to see if we can get some more of those. Because that's important, and I don't even know when they had to be turned in. Do you, Alec? I'm not sure. But anyway, praise God. Oh, there's still time. Praise God. So, um, well, Lord, we just thank you for your word that went forth tonight. I pray, Lord, that each one of us will wake up. The Lord's telling us to arise and shine, to wake up, you sleepers, hallelujah. And that means each one of us, to wake up. And you know what? The Lord is wanting to do some great things here at Grace Tabernacle. And it's very exciting to see what he's doing. But I, I want to encourage everyone to stay in unity because it's a good thing. God's doing a good thing. And so it's important for all of us to stand together and keep coming and worshiping the Lord and getting in his presence. The Lord told us the other day in prayer that it was the, the worship and the praise when Jehoshaphat was facing all those armies and he was afraid and he said he didn't know what to do but he reminded God of all the things that had happened and all the things that he had done for them and for his ancestors and he said keep your eyes on me and send out the praisers send out the worshipers they were going to be the first line of offense or defense hallelujah and that's who we are. We're a, we're a church that loves to praise the Lord. So get your praises going, guys. I mean, I'm hoping that Sunday that everybody comes up to the altar and all their pride and all their fear and everything else will be set aside and there'll be people up here worshiping the Lord, saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, thank you all for coming tonight. We thank you. We want to thank the people that watch online. We have a lot of online viewers, not just from this area, but from all over. 
And so I'm so grateful that they do. And I want to tell you that if you missed any of what, what uh, Bruce was saying tonight, you can go online and it's been recorded and it will be um, on the website. So that's a good thing. Because sometimes I'm thinking about what he's saying and I forget to write something down and then I'm trying to figure it out later. So praise God. We have all the tools we need. What more do we need? Amen? So, Father, I just thank you for tonight. I pray a blessing on each one here. And I thank you, Lord, that we're a mighty army of God and we're ready to, to do what God's called us to do. We all have great assignments, and it's fun to be on his assignments, right? Amen. We'll have a blessed week, and we'll see you all on Sunday. And bring somebody with you. Bring like 10 people with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.